This is the Collective Evolution Show. I'm Joe Martino. It's no secret that over the last few years, one of the most grand narrative wars occurred around the world. And still to this day, there are many basic facts about the pandemic that many of us are simply not aware of or just don't agree on at all. And these facts truly do change the face of what probably should have been done during this pandemic. Now, if you're like me, you're wondering how exactly did this happen? And you also might be quite fatigued by trying to track all of this, make sense of all this and understand what to do and where we go next. My guest here today is Jason Quitt. He's an author and someone who's been studying wellness modalities and spiritual practices for almost 20 years. You might be thinking, whoa, whoa, how will this relate to what happened over the last few years? All I can say is listen in and you'll find out. In this episode, we briefly reflect on the last few years, then delve into a grounded and practical discussion around things like politics, conspiracy, embracing curiosity, metaphysics, qigong, and meditation a wide range of topics that truly do tie together meaningfully. So without further ado, my friends, here is my conversation with Jason Quitt. So obviously, we're both living in Canada, but we're here in the same office right now. Canada has been a a fun space to be in during the course of COVID. Yes. Um, I'm I'm actually so excited to be here because one... There's another human being in front of me yeah, yeah. in the same room. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't bring my measuring tape, but I'm pretty sure we're 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 coming yeah. close. Yeah, this isn't six. I know. So we may get in trouble. We may get in trouble. So yeah, speaking of that then, what uh how 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 has it been for you? Like what's what's COVID been like here in Canada for you? Well, before COVID, um I was doing a lot of traveling. So I was mostly on the road flying staying in different countries and that was my life for about seven years and then COVID hit and basically had to cancel all my like I plan my year basically a year ahead Mm -hmm. so I know what I'm doing for the whole year so I had to cancel everything I had to cancel my flights Mm -hmm. lost like a lot of people lost a lot of money yeah doing that and then had to kind of sit back and figure out what to do and you know I'm a I'm a hopeful, optimistic person. I was, and I I was actually in Florida um, with my wife uh, when Justin Trudeau came on camera and said, "Okay, everybody come back to Canada because yeah. we're closing the borders." And this was around March 16th, I think, to yeah. 2020. <laughs> so I remember that, and um, I had to actually book a new flight to come back home. And because I'm so hopeful and optimistic, I'm like, yeah, they just said like two weeks and everything will be cool. And, you know, we'll come back. Like, obviously, we're upset. We had to cancel our vacation and come back home. But, you know, COVID, um, we don't know at the time how bad it was going to be. And everybody's wearing masks. And we're all kind of afraid Mm -hmm. back then. And we come home. We stock up. We buy all this food and we're say okay we're gonna hunker down for like two weeks we're not gonna go out where this thing is gonna pass and we're in 2022 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i i feel you but you know so here's here's a question then is like because that's always an interesting question is like how do we navigate community in times of of uncertainty um but even when we learned say some truths about covid and how dangerous it was and so on and so forth that information wasn't spread around 
you know, let's say widely. Um, and there was a lot of opposition. So, I mean, that's kind of what leads to the idea that people were left afraid. I'm curious, like, did you have a lot of experiences where you were talking to people, friends, family, so on and so forth about, let's say, alternative ideas around what was happening with COVID? And if so, what was their response? Um, I knew the moment I would try to bring it up, it was almost this visceral emotional reaction how can you say this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How can you believe this? You must be a Trump follower. Mm-hmm, of course. I can't even believe how many times I've heard that line. Oh, you listen to podcasts and you obviously are a Trump yeah. follower. Which is, for me, the funniest response ever because when did critical thinking or asking questions or saying this is a study from Stats Canada, yeah. <laughs> you know, how is this a conspiracy theory? Right. Um, it's just not talked about in the mainstream narrative. So, um, like, again, I have a lot of friends that are very much tuned into uh, mainstream media. Yeah. And what I've found is that it's narrative agenda-based. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I can clearly say that out loud because I can't tell you how many stories have been retracted over the past two years. <laughs> Um, but they don't apologize for it right. and they just quietly take the stories down that were disinformation, right? Uh, which was a lot yeah. in the past two years. And if I bring that up to people, I'm like, did you know that there wasn't any foreign funding? Yeah. 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 For um, the fe- freedom for convoy, the, for the freedom convoy. Yeah. They're like, yeah, well the media says differently. Yeah. I go, yeah. But they all retracted Retract. that story, yeah. but it, it doesn't sit with them. It's just, they have that narrative. They have that agenda. And they're sticking to that story, no yeah. matter what. It's it's the classic uh, how the government deals with UFOs as well. Shoot first, ask questions later, right? <laughs> it's like, and, and when it comes to like COVID, there was a lot of counter things that came out right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So 2020, people started looking into it. There was alternative views. There yep. was other therapies that came out. There was other things that were very promising right at the beginning. There was mm-hmm. people coming out and saying lockdowns will have this effect which were proven right Mm -hmm. Um, but those people were basically thrown out of their jobs they were censored off the internet Um, there was so much um, there was an effort to silence people where nothing else can go out there except what the official narrative is and anything else you're wrong and suddenly you had normal people that weren't conspiracy theorists that never even dabbled in those areas were now being labeled as conspiracy theorists because suddenly they knew that there was something wrong and they tried to say something and suddenly they were censored on social media. Yeah. So over the two years, a lot of people, uh, they say, are getting awakened Mm-hmm. It's just because they're just completely normal people having normal conversations and suddenly they're the enemy. Right. right. Like, how did this happen? Yeah. How did we get to this point where just having an open conversation or questioning things um, had this level of scrutiny? And I think um, the craziest stories were about the doctors themselves, mm-hmm. especially around COVID. And I know where I live, which I won't really state here, but um, there were many doctors that lost their licenses. Yeah. 
uh, many doctors that were kicked out of their residencies and hospitals. Wow. Why? Well, one, they were originally they were giving out um, exemption letters mm-hmm. for people that literally had problems, medical, exemption. medical exemptions. And then there was too many given out. So the government changed their policy and they made it almost impossible for that. So any doctor that would give out an exemption now would basically, there would be a review and most of them would lose their licenses. Yeah. And that didn't reach the media. That was basically silence. Yeah. So, you know, um, a lot of people in the mainstream that, you know, are listening to us and they say, well, that never happened. There was so much fear in the doctor community that they wouldn't even think of going against the narrative because their whole livelihood would be thrown out the window. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we had heard of multiple doctors. I mean, even, you know, good friend of mine, his dad's a doctor and, and he didn't, he was like in on the COVID narrative pretty well all the way through up until, you know, he started giving vaccinations to younger people and, um, you know, specifically people in their teens and he would see the reactions. And then like in their clinic, they'd have, you know, three, four kids. And then, his colleagues are clinics neighboring the area and they would have three, four injuries there. And then the other clinics, you know, they'd all get talking and suddenly it was like, why do all these clinics have so many different injuries? And it's like being talked about as if it doesn't exist. But then on top of that, the, like the professional perspective was most of them weren't even reporting them. And, um, the effort to report them was, you know, 35, 40 minutes, 45 minutes sometimes of paperwork to get it done. And with these clinics kind of at a point where they're like, see a patient, see a patient, see a patient, see a patient, there's just not enough time. And so he kind of went through this process of, I'm going to kind of follow up. Like I just watched a kid get taken to a hospital. This was his story. I watched a kid get taken to a hospital for a vaccine injury. Like I'm so curious to know what happens then. So he tried to pay attention to, um, whether or not that kid got better, like, you know, what went on? Because again, doctors care, right? Most doctors actually care about people. And uh, interestingly, it was in the later parts of COVID that he started to have this sort of awakening, if you will, and began actually diving through the literature, actually diving through the different perspectives, looking at the facts, right? And when he did that, it was like, oh my God, like what's happening here is a ginormous misstep on the part of of the narrative and part of the government and and what's being said here and um it's just fascinating to know that we could and this is kind of one of the big takeaways for me it's like it's so easy to have the mechanisms of a society like media like government control something and and just brush it over even really really smart people and we just saw how easy it is for that to happen um, and how much of the world can change with something like that. But the question becomes now that we've all seen it, experienced it, and perhaps, you know, woken up a little bit more from it, you know, will it as easily happen again? Um, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really do. Yeah. Um, I think people are really pulled by fear. Yeah. Um, it's the easiest way to control and manipulate people. Mm-hmm. Some things we should be afraid of but it shouldn't determine the life of every single person in the society. And I think this is what we learned um, from COVID is that the people that were the most affected, I think the, the average age of people that passed away 
from COVID was um, close to the 80s. Yeah, 79, 80, depending on where. So that was the most amount of people. And if we were just focus on the elderly and say, we really need to protect, put all our resources to protecting um, our grandparents, our elderly, um, and the people that, you know, it just kind of goes through, they deal with it and they're fine. Yeah. You know, we don't have to put the resources towards those uh, yeah. individuals because, you know, they have an immune system. And obviously there are rare cases where um, there are people yeah. that get affected, but the majority of people, we know who the, they are. Yeah. Um, so just to just do a blanket approach and say, you know, we have to lock down. Everybody's the same. Everybody needs the same medicine, uh, same protocols to everybody. It just it will no never sense. work. It makes no sense. Yeah. Um, they've already warned us. Get ready for the fall and winter. Yeah. Which you know, the flu season is known, especially in Canada, around that time. Everybody gets sick. It's normal. But what they're finding now is that people are getting more sick mm-hmm. from just normal things. The flu is making a, a comeback, yeah. you know, like the influenza and pneumonia is like, yeah. plus COVID. Um, and sometimes people are having more than one virus at a time. Sure, yeah. So why are people getting hit so hard? And people are looking into it and they're saying, well, isolation. Mm-hmm. If you isolate yourself too much from the outside world, your immune system is going to pay. Yeah. So that when you come back into society and start mingling again with all these people, you're opened to getting very sick. Yeah. And we knew this before COVID. Oh, yeah. This is common knowledge. You know, you, you, you have to use your immune system. Yeah. In order for it to work. Yeah. You know, kind of the the interesting part about navigating this space for the last little while, because obviously once you get into the independent and alternative side of viewing things, you have this this myriad of perspectives about COVID, and you have anybody calling it, hey, it's just a ten day cold, like it's not even a big deal, it's not, which doesn't seem to be entirely true for everybody. And then you know, at the same time, you have, um, you know, almost like all of these different ideas that that are necessary to talk about, are necessary to explore in terms of alternative facts and ideas around what's happening with COVID, have also sometimes gone so far deep down the deep end in this sort of conspiratorial or alternative space that, I mean, I think it's shut down meaningful dialogue in a lot of ways. I'm curious, like, you know, because you've been in tune with this community to some extent for a long time. What What's your take on what you saw happen, you know, within this community over the last while? Well, remember, when you're in the conspiracy community, literally everything's a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's no, <laughs> it's very polarized. Yeah. It's very polarized. So um, immediately what I saw in these communities is everything from it's a hoax, it's fake, yeah. uh, to bioweapon, lab leak, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually... Um, <laughs> Probably, Probably the, the most, most accurate, accurate yeah. thing. So the people, and there's, um, it seems that there's lab leaks all the time. It's just mm-hmm. not talked, talked about. about a lot. Yeah, um, they are doing that type of work. I mean, that's where they're getting their funding. They're getting their funding to test these new mutations and see what happens. They're putting them in mice and seeing what happens. 
And these things jump from animals to humans. So, and these things are tiny. Yeah. Very tiny. Uh, what is it? 0.6 or micrograms or yeah. something like that. They're so small that it's airborne. Yeah. So if you're working in a lab, you know, you're wearing masks, sure, but there's a possibility of you getting infected by something you're creating. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's what happened, but I'm saying it has happened in the past and we know about this. Um, so <laughs> I'm laughing because in the conspiracy community, this is an old conspiracy. You know, they've been talking about this since early 2000s. Yeah. They've talked about viruses being used to control the population. They've talked about um, they're going to be injecting genetic material in you, making GMO humans. I mean, yeah, this, yeah, is, yeah. this has been around way before yeah. COVID. And, uh, you know, uh, I even remember Jesse Ventura and Alex Jones. They've had people on in the early uh, 2000s talking about how uh, they're going to try to limit mobility. Mm -hmm. They're going to try to lock us down with a pandemic and a virus. They're going to do all these things that literally happened (laughs) these past two years. So as you know, it's like I have a show with Jimmy Church called Quitspiracy where we talk about all these different, all these conspiracies and I gave it up for like a year yeah. during COVID. I'm like, I'm not doing any more shows talking about conspiracies because everything that we've talked about for the past like 10 plus years is literally happening. Digital ID, money, uh, yeah, yeah, digital yeah. currency, sh- uh, social credit systems, uh, the surveillance systems, all these conspiracies are being talked about, are being fought in the house of commons almost every single day (laughs) so it's like my job as a conspiracy theorist got thrown out the window because people are like how do you hear these crazy conspiracies like i watch the house of commons question period every day yeah like this is what they're talking about right right well if they're talking about that why isn't in the in the news (laughs) i go that's a really good question you should look into that conspiracy Yeah. yeah it's it's incredible so either um we just blindly believe Mm -hmm. what we uh consume which is given to us through the media yeah and or we start listening to what these people are actually saying yeah because what people are actually saying and doing is very different what people are consuming in the media Mm -hmm. and as you know with uh, the media in your community um you know, they want to just shut you down Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because if you go against anything that they're trying to put out there, you're now an enemy. You're now considered disinformation. You know, they may even say, Hey Joe, you know, because you said this, well, you're Russian disinfo. Oh, right. You know, that's the new one. That's the new one. So, (laughs) um, doesn't matter if you were born in the Ukraine. It doesn't matter if, you know, you're still Russian disinfo for agreeing yeah with these things so it's very hard to be in alternative media these days because even if you have the literal papers freedom of information i have the papers yeah yeah. that say this is true yeah well we don't believe you yeah yeah (laughs) you know that's kind of the way it is um so it's it's difficult to have open conversation 
um, especially on social media now, because there is, um, you know, I, I don't even want to use the word bot farms. Yeah. Because there is legitimate companies that get paid to have accounts to go and comment in these sections for specific things. If you say a certain thing yeah. and it pops up in their feed that you use that type of language, it triggers certain accounts to come to your account and tell you that you're wrong right. and why you're wrong. Right. You know, so this goes beyond fact checking. This is like random culture accounts. control culture. Yeah. yeah. It, it is yeah. a controlling the group think of society through the comment section of social media. Yeah. It was like, I was, uh, was talking to a buddy of mine and we were talking about how we were talking about the matrix and then we were talking about, you know, well, you know, the elite, they, they just control everything per se. And I'm like, you know what? Honestly, sometimes I think they don't even have to, because if you have a powerful group of people, you just look at it that way. And that powerful group of people can influence a culture such that that culture can go and regulate itself. You don't need to be there for every single instance because the culture will regulate itself. And, and in a lot of ways in the matrix, you have Agent Smith can essentially show up through any person within the matrix, right? Which is kind of this metaphor of like anybody can be, you know, the agent. Anybody can be, they can become at that moment in time, the agent that regulates you back into the matrix. And um, I think a lot of times, you know, with these companies that pop up, sometimes I even imagine them being just people who are like, you know what, I really want to put an end to fake news. Or I really want to put an end to this kind of stuff. And they go and they start a company and they do that. And in that way, they're almost acting through culture and through their own beliefs, like an agent for uh, a system that is that is trying to, to basically oppress people. Um, and, and I think so much of that has occurred through COVID, where you've had people, good people, doing things that are you know, really kind of terrible in a lot of ways. I mean, I think a lot of people would have a hard time seeing it that way, but some of the stuff that's happened has been terrible. The way people have been treated, the way they've been oppressed, the way their rights have been taken, and people do this. And I, I, I oftentimes think they're just operating from what they think is is a good thing to do. And I think that's what's so hard about this, because now that COVID is basically dying down and people want to move on from it, it's like, well, hold on a second how do we just walk away from everything that just happened there? All these things that these people were partaking in, how do we just walk away from that? And I don't know the answer to that. Like, like what should be done? How do we navigate that? It comes back to this whole behavioral, um, what's that word? Behavioral modification. Yeah. And even at the beginning or mid through COVID, um, the media put out some stories and how the um, intelligence agencies, the military used COVID as an opportunity to spread disinformation, to spread propaganda um, and to see how it would affect the population. So this came out, this is, is a real mm -hmm. story. So there is this kind of behavioral modification that we've seen. And if you listen to what, Basically, um, people with globalist agendas have been speaking about yeah. for probably longer than we've been alive, actually. <laughs> um, they basically need to completely change the world. Yeah. 
They need to get rid of fossil fuels. They need to get rid of um, capitalism, basically. They need to change the entire nature of our reality to what they're envisioning as this kind of green future. Yeah. And even, you know, Mr. Klaus Schwab says, oh, there will be pain. (laughs) People will be very angry (laughs) because... And even our government, and this is what blows my mind, people don't know this, is their stated intentions is to shut down the oil and gas yeah. industry. Which, hey, you know, I would say fantastic. Yeah. Get rid of pollution, man. Get yeah. you know, Green it up. But the alternative they're offering is just as bad. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just as bad for the environment but it's more control for them. Which which alternatives are you talking about? Here? I would say uh, mining lithium for batteries, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to because there are technologies out there that are better. Mm-hmm. They just completely ignore it. Yeah. Because it has to when it really comes down to this, it has to do with global control. Yeah. How do we control the markets? How do we control the population? Right now, the world is controlled through Oil. We have the petrodollar. Yeah. Everything is determined with energy. Yeah. Our money is determined with energy. Uh, every technology is determined. So we have a cap on resources because of how much energy we can use. Yeah. So if someone says, oh, yeah, man, I can't wait for free energy to come around. <laughs> well, the moment that you get free energy is the moment we start raping the earth even more. Mm-hmm. Because you will have unlimited energy to take what you want now. Yeah, so you're kind of bringing that up in the sense of like, if energy was super available, um, but then it were to be offered to our current culture, um, what would happen would be just a consumption that is beyond what we even are seeing today, as opposed to what people want is how this could free up society. Yes, Yes, and like right now, we have alternatives to fuel. Yeah. You remember that car uh, from Germany um, and Switzerland called the Quant E vehicle? It's a vehicle that runs on salt water. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, okay, I remember that. came that. out 2015, 2016. Yeah. And technology is there. Yeah. It works. It works. It works. Um, you know... I just read an article the other day where they're putting solar panels on a car and this electric vehicle um, can run seven months yeah. without being plugged in. Yeah. But then again, you have to mine the batteries. You know how yeah, like, yeah. disgusting yeah. the mining is? Yeah. It's like, what's worse, mining for coal or mining for lithium? Like, yeah. <laughs> I would say the same level. I would say that lithium's far worse because it's extremely toxic to the environment, especially batteries afterwards. Yeah. Um, you know, the windmills, oh, how much nonsense. metal, nonsense. how much energy has to be put into actually creating that resource to get the metals to build those things are massive. Yeah. Massive. So, um, and they break down constantly. <laughs> and so, you know, back to the, the, the globalist idea is that the pain that we're going to see is they're going to be removing oil and gas from our society, mm-hmm. which means the prices of everything are going to skyrocket. Yeah. It's going to limit our mobility. Food is going to be very scarce. 
and it's going to be a scary future, but they haven't offered an alternative. Right. And if they said, oh, you know, we're going to get batteries and solar panels and all that, that is not an alternative. That's saying we're going to have years of rolling blackouts. Yeah. You know, we need to first be um, willing to look at technologies. Um, and there's, um, there's technologies right now that, you know, are even based off of Tesla's technology. Yeah. They work companies using, they're just not talked about. There's a company close to here, actually. Actually, I think it might actually be in the city where we're talking in right now. Um, they have, it's a wastewater site or wastewater management plant. And they have a technology in there where they use um, an electrical oscillation from like a Tesla coil. So it's a frequency of electricity that goes into the wastewater. And when the electricity goes into the wastewater, it separates um, hydrogen the and the oxygen. It separates yeah. the nitrogen, hydrogen, yeah. oxygen, and it actually uh, separates the wastewater. So it purifies the water. Yeah. Right? But the gas that it's producing can be used for energy is not only used for energy, it's powering the plant. <laughs> okay, so yeah. this machine that's that's cleaning the wastewater is powering the plant and it's creating so much electricity that it's sending electricity out to the exactly. grid mm-hmm. and the company is getting paid for producing electricity. Yeah. And that's that's the kind of stuff that I I've heard I've heard of examples of technologies like that. It's almost like an electrolysis essentially. And uh I think it's these stories. I mean, most people, let's say that that have their belief and their faith within the system, they hear that and they go, "Well, no, if that was really happening, right? We would have heard it on CBC or CTV." And, and if that was really happening, Justin Trudeau would be, you know, bringing this forth. And if that was really happening, you know, and this is, I think, this is where, you know, I've always kind of taken the position that you might suggest that the consciousness of our culture is not quote unquote ready, if you will, for these technologies. Um, What I mean by that is if, for example, there's a technology down in, you know, we'll say the Toronto, greater Toronto area. And uh, I've signed the NDA, gone and seen it with multiple people. I was there with, with um, uh, a number of South American investors, uh, like owners of massive hotel chains, massive resort chains, massive casino chains down there. They came with their engineers. We go, we're looking at this device I'm watching it. I'm seeing the latency. I'm seeing the load testing. We're seeing everything. And it's nothing more than utilizing a, a, a system of, of magnets combined with temporarily utilizing um, uh, almost like an opposing force. Something, I don't want to give it away because I signed an NDA, so, yeah. but it's like something creates an opposing force. It's very clever. It works. It can be uh, set up in series so that you can essentially have tons and tons of power. I was looking at a two kilowatt device, so easily run a person's house, no problem. Um, and, you know, you're looking at this and you're going, for, like I went back to the car, you cry because you're like, this is insane, right? You're, you're seeing the, the scientists, you're seeing the, the, the inventors, like once they wrap their head around it, the scientists in particularly around how it worked, it was like they became children. They were so excited. They were like, oh my God, I can't believe this. But what was happening in that container, which was that company and that energy product, was they wanted to sell it to like PowerStream and some of these, you know, these major, so that now they would they would 
the major power distributors now wouldn't have to utilize, say, millions of dollars every month to generate the nuclear power or to generate the power from, you know, uh, natural gas and so on and so forth and then sell it to people. Now their generation costs would be zero because of these of these devices. And I asked, you know, the guy responsible for setting up a lot of the, the agreements and they were trying to get this going. Uh, and I'm like, so what what are you going to do as the person offering the contract to these companies to make sure that those savings are passed on to the customer. And he said, well, it's not my, that's not my job. I don't, it doesn't matter. I'm like, so wait, they're literally going to have their energy costs, production costs reduced to zero. So now the only cost that company has is, you know, the maintaining the grid, maintaining the network and doing that. So you're going to have a massive amount of their costs and people are going to save nothing and it turned into this money, billions of dollars, war, blah, blah, blah. And I said, this is exactly the problem, right? Is people still want to do even what you suggested earlier, which is utilize the same thinking, the same way of being within this system, but with these new technologies. So it gives us more power to do more bad things <laughs> as opposed to utilizing it to free us, which then leads to the question, how do we get there? Well, the idea is do god i was gonna say do people want to be free right you know and oh but we are free we live in a free country we live completely (laughs) we're free to talk about this right yeah um right now it seems like they're destroying the only oil and gas industry so we can get off the petrodollar yeah and what they're doing now is they're making arrangements with other countries, especially in South America and China, um, for mining rights. Yeah. So these are the futures of, uh, of mining, even Canada, um, for rare earth materials that will be for batteries and other things. So once we make that shift, it's a whole power shift dynamic of the entire planet. So now the people that were... Um, in power before is going to shift to another group of people who are mm-hmm. in power. And this is where all, you know, the lobbying comes into effect. Yeah. All the, the big business is rallying around these type of new investments. The only issue is, is we have to kind of destroy, literally destroy the industry where we're begging for these new technologies to come out, mm-hmm. but it's just another snare. Right. Um, so, yes, we have to get out of it somehow. Hopefully these technologies come out. But, you know, you said something really interesting earlier, which I've heard multiple times, is that there are some inventions out there that are absolutely genius, mm-hmm. that can solve our energy problems today yeah. so easily. And the moment these people bring it to market, they, they hand it over to the energy companies they hand it over to the government or the military and they get paid out instantly they just get paid out they become millionaires billionaires whatever it is and they don't they just wipe their hands clean and the technology never sees the light of day it's gone it's like a game it's like okay i have this technology i'm going to show it suddenly bang yeah just a quick moment before we get back to our conversation. If you want to support this podcast and all the work we do here at the Pulse and Collective Evolution, consider becoming a member of our Explorer Lounge. As a member, you get access to exclusive video content. You can watch all of these episodes ad-free. 
And you get access to our private social network where you can discuss and learn about many topics with a like-minded community of changemakers. It's truly an incredible place to be, not just for the benefits that you get, but you're directly supporting our dedicated team here at Collective Evolution and The Pulse. Visit explorelounge.one, that's dot O-N-E, to learn more. All right, let's get back to the show. You know, and and I think that challenge of of things disappearing is obviously like, I I actually just saw this uh, guy at University of Waterloo had vetted his technology. He was on like Dragon's Den. And like, obviously all the dragons were like, okay, wait, has this been vetted? And he's like, yes, yes, yes. And he had all the papers. It had also been looked at by a couple of US um, universities. And it was a fascinating technology. And they're all like, providing it's vetted, we're in like instantaneously. And uh, this guy just disappeared, literally disappeared. I haven't been able to find him, haven't been able to look him up. And this was years ago. Um, And you're like, "Hmm, I wonder what happened there. Because he was saying how he had an interest from Suncor, which would have been, you know, big oil and gas company, right? So I'm like, I wonder if they just bought it and took it and it disappeared, you know, that kind of thing. But um, you said earlier how there's uh, one powerful group of people and, and things might just be transitioning over to another powerful group of people. And, you know, my theory on how does the world work, if you will, has evolved a lot over the years from maybe this sort of monolithic uh, elite type thing where you have like this group of people that are very, very powerful that, you know, just position themselves in ways around the world and such that they kind of steer the greater direction of where they want the world to go in that direction so they can maintain power. And it has evolved from kind of that more monolithic sense to there's actually groups of powerful people more akin to maybe like a mafia, like a New York mafia where you have five key families that are, you know, playing outside of the system, uh, organized crime outside of the system. And they're, you know, they're, they're, they have control. They have tons of power. They can steer anything they want in, in a lot of ways. Um, but sometimes those families war with each other. Sometimes those families are all working together. Hey, we won't take out the boss of the top family. We'll just let it go for 15, 20 years, whatever. And then, then one day some of the families get together. Let's take over this. Let's, let's fight it out. Right. And I've often wondered, like, is that happening at a higher level, if you will. Right. And you, when you suggested the idea that you're seeing different groups of power shift potentially up at the top, I've often wondered if that's even a reasonable way to, to frame the Trump conversation a little bit where instead of seeing Trump as like a savior, he was coming to with the white hats to save everybody. What if, you know, Trump was almost like this puppet head for another group of extremely powerful interests that were pushing back against, you know, the existing group. I'm curious if you've ever thought about that. I, I have. Um, I would, I would, go out and say that not only is there groups of people, there's warring ideologies. Mm-hmm. So it's like these people, say these people, these groups of individuals, um, they have a vision for a specific future and they have a roadmap to get there. Yeah. And, you know, even if you listen to like uh, Henry Kissinger mm-hmm. talk about these things, I mean, he's been speaking about this since like the seventies. Yeah. Okay, so that's like 50 years already of this kind of conversation going forward. And a lot of those things are being played out now. Mm-hmm. So it's taken a long time to kind of move society in these directions. And I think this is why no one really kind of grasps it is because it's so long term. Yeah. So, you know, this could 
be set up around World War II even, where new powers came into play and they decided, okay, how are we going to build this future? And I think that we're at a turning point right now where um, they believe we're in a critical point now that if we're going to get to their vision of the future, things have to change dramatically over the next couple of years. Yeah. And this is uh, what we're seeing. And there is this, um, it's not a new ideology. I'd say it's an old ideology that's been around, especially in the political scene for a long time. But now it's very main stage. And uh, it seems governments around the world are adopting this type of ideology. So it's not just Canada and the U.S., France. Yeah. You know, it's... it's um, it's worldwide now. Yeah. So now you have this ideology that's in these uh, political figures in these governments and they're changing policies and laws and even language. Okay. The language has changed in governments around the world together. So it's not, you know, I'm watching, uh, obviously I'm watching like the house of commons. I do that, you know, to keep up and, it's like they're saying, well, uh, this country, it's exactly the same. And this country is exactly the same. So how can you blame Canada? Right, right, right. Well, it's the same because they believe the same things. They're doing the same things. And this is why things are happening in unison all around the world. Yeah. So they could say, okay, there's this kind of global conspiracy that we're now being shifted. And it's a worldwide thing. It's not yeah. just local anymore. Well, they, they close penetrated the cabinets, right? Oh, you know? <laughs> I don't want to know anything that man penetrates. I, I, that's a, I always had this like joke of like creating this like this this shirt that just is like a silhouette where it's like you have like some kitchen cabinets and Klaus just like holding on to them in a sexual way. And it says, oh, I've been penetrating the cabinets. <laughs> that would probably sell. That would probably sell a few, few okay. of those. Okay. Don't. Yeah. It's copyrighted. Yeah. Maybe don't. You said it first. Yeah. Exactly. Don't don't take my idea. But I um I'm curious with regards to, you know, you talk about you watch the House of Commons question period, which, you know, I it, it, it I've watched them, right? It can be a very dry and boring process. It can be like watching a bunch of children fighting, but it can also sometimes have useful value. And and like you said, you said that to or you watch that to sort of keep up with what's going on in a sense. And this leads to a really interesting question that I think a lot of people are wrestling with, in a sense, is the idea of, you know, the news, keeping up with what's going on, can feel very draining. Um, people can, they say it can feel very negative, that it doesn't matter to them because in their own bubble or if they're just in their own, on their land with their community of people say that that's all that matters. Everything else doesn't matter. Um and so that you see people detracting from paying attention. You see um, people fatigued with all of what they consumed during COVID and now they're kind of pulling back. What's your take on, like, you stay informed as much as possible. Other people want to pull away entirely. What's your take on that dynamic and why it's important? I would say the point is to make people tired. The mm-hmm. point is to get people distracted and pull away. Um because people, life is complicated, mm-hmm. okay? Especially if the gas is over $2 a <laughs> liter. You know, it's like, 
am I going to put gas in my car or am I going to feed my children? Do I have enough for my mortgage? Mm-hmm. Which now they say by 20, 24, 25 may go up 50% if you have a variable mortgage. So a lot of people are worried right now. Yeah. Yeah. They don't really care about politicians you know, going back and forth talking about issues when you have enough issues in your life to deal with. The, the main problem, though, is that most of your issues are coming from them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're creating the problems. They're, they're orchestrating the policies that now you are dealing with. Yeah. And um, we need to be informed. Yeah. We really need to be informed because, and, I, you know, I, I failed. I failed in this regard because, you know, growing up in Canada, we watched the U.S. news. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't watch CBC. I watched like CNN and Fox and all these things. So I knew more about the U.S. Yeah. than I did about Canada. So it's like when Justin Trudeau got on the, the TV and said, you know, come back to Canada, you know, we're blocking the borders. I'm like, I think that was the first time in my life I paid attention to yeah. Justin Trudeau. Mm-hmm. It wasn't very long ago. Yeah. And now that I've switched and go, well, you know, what are these people talking about in Canada and I totally disconnected from the US I went right to Canadian politics and I was shocked I couldn't believe how much entertainment was in Canadian politics <laughs> I mean people talk about US but you haven't seen anything if you haven't watched Canadian politics but you need to be informed because this is our country yeah and, you know, most people, they don't know who their candidates are. They don't know what they're talking about. They just see red, blue, yeah, or orange or green, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and whatever they feel, they vote for. And, like, I remember, you know, growing up, or right when I came to the age of voting, there's a line that I've heard from my family. They would basically tell you who to vote for. Mm-hmm. And they say, vote for the devil you know. Like, that's the line. Vote yeah. for the devil you know. And now we have the. <laughs> now we have it. Yeah. Now we have it. Uh, we need to be more informed than that. Yeah. Um, it almost begs that. That begs. I was saying this to my wife the other day. I was like, you know, there's a lot of people, right? If we're just looking at, let's say we 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 didn't believe another type of society was possible, right? Another system wasn't possible, and this is it. This is what we had, and you just had to look at that, and you had to say, like, what's the value of a vote? of somebody who's literally just showing up to vote because they're supposed to and because they're going to get a sticker. And and they're just going to kind of vote for, hey, you know what, I, I vote liberals or I vote Democrat or whatever, so I'm just going to go do that. Or I vote Republican, I'm conservative, I'm just going to go do that. What's the value of that vote? How many of those people can even name what the platform, the person they're voting for, what, what's on their platform? What are they actually campaigning for? What are they trying to do? What is the value of that vote? Right. And, and it's a fascinating question because it leads for me to the next question, which is ultimately, you know, how much can we expect to get done, to change, to be, you know, beautifully held in our favor, if you will, as people, which is kind of what government's supposed to do is stewarding a group of people. How much can we expect to get done in our existing systems? And is, is there an invitation, at least in my perspective, there is to say, it's time to pull out of these existing systems. But it doesn't mean go put your head in the sand. It means you need to be engaged on a grassroots. You need to still figure out how you're going to engage with the politic of society in some way. But can we expect to see change in our existing systems? 
Uh, I can't answer that, but I've been watching, like I say, um, the politicians, and I'm trying to stay informed as much as I can. And what I really see is the ideology mm-hmm. that we've been talking about, this globalized ideology, basically changing our policies and our direction. And if we knew that before we voted for them, would we have voted for them? Mm-hmm. Because when we place these people into power, it's like they're our representation. Yeah. So once they're voted in, it's, it's not like every person has a vote now what they do. Only in election time. Yeah. So until then, they stand up and they say, okay, we're doing this for Canadians yeah. because Canadians voted for us and this is why we're doing it and they're going to be so happy that we're doing it. Yeah. And they say, okay, well, we live in a democracy because we voted this individual that is now doing all these things that we never asked for. We never for, voted for. <laughs> but we voted for him, so it's cool right. that he can or she can just do whatever they want and be approved. Yeah. Um, and this has to also go back because, you know, we come from the the spiritual yeah. conscious evolution side where most people in this community don't want to look at anything negative. Right. All right. So, um, you know, it lowers their vibration, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we live in this world. And by living in this world, we have a responsibility. We have a stake yeah. in our future here to participate. We need to participate. And if we are un- uninformed and we don't like the way the world is, well, we have a vote. We, I hope we have a vote. <laughs> you know, that it's, it's not a trick. Could be. Yeah. But, you know, we should have this kind of individual freedom of thought where we need to be informed. We need to vote. We need to see everything and how it is. And there needs to be discourse and disclosure. Yeah. Um, so f- I know like a lot of people that are watching this because I do a lot of things with energy and, and mm-hmm. consciousness and things like, why is Jay talking about politics and all this yeah, stuff? Yeah, you know, yeah. why? Because you kind of need mm-hmm. to know what's going on in your world. Yeah. Um, you can have the most incredible spiritual experiences that are mind blowing, life changing, but you still have to change your tire at the side of the road. For sure. Yeah. I, th- this has been probably one of the biggest pain points we've gone through at Collective Evolution over the 14 years, which actually we're almost, we're almost four. It's like we're like days away from being 14 years old. Um, and uh, one of the biggest pain points has been that if you, you know, if you're into this sort of spirituality or metaphysical, like I don't even like using the word spirituality anymore because it's, it's now it's been, it feels like it's been so tainted by, let's say beliefs or new agey ideas that I don't agree with at all, but that somewhat sound like some of the stuff I'm saying. So that it's like, it pushes you into this weird place. But if you're going to be into discussing the supernatural metaphysics, consciousness, the nature of our reality, personal transformation, if you're going to be into those things, mm-hmm. you can't talk about politics because it's bad. It's negative. It's, you know, like everything, like you said, and we decided like very early on with collective evolution that, no, the way you move forward with transformation is you, you must utilize the outside world as a representation of our inside world. 
And just because you're changing your inside world doesn't mean you never participate with what's happening in the outside. It's you're changing your inside to engage with the outside world in a new way and to be part of a person that ushers in like, you know, the, the idea of a, of a shift in consciousness, which has been talked about a lot, which, you know, I prescribe to the idea that something's going on. Um, and this idea of a shift in consciousness for a lot of people though, you know, especially some of the big names out there, we won't name for the, for the sake of it because it's not important. It's more so the idea of what they're talking about is always, it's just going to happen. There's some flash, there's some thing, there's some event, there's some something that will happen that will just change everything in all humans. And it's like, bingo, bango, it's gone. But what if this is about us having to participate, having to explore the journey of personal transformation and participating in We've just received so much flack over the years for having done what I would define as like, quote unquote, you know, real spirituality, which is how do you show up in life? How do you show up in society? How do you show up in community? Can you be responsible for your state of being and for exploring, you know, these other um, realms? But then how do you bring them back here? What do you do with them here? What does it mean here? Um, and then how do we act? And, and, it's, it's been fascinating because COVID, at least from my perspective, took a lot of people that would give us so much flack about talking about the real world. And it, it snapped them into, oh my God, I realize why it's important for me to pay attention. But at the same time, there's a whole bunch of people who detracted and said, I'm never paying attention again. So it's a, it's a fascinating dynamic that's playing I, out. I would say that there's this element of escapism. Mm-hmm. And we live in a world that's hard. There's no denying that we are in a difficult world. Mm -hmm. You know, philosophers, uh, spiritual people for thousands of years, you know, they have the question, why do we suffer? Yeah. This is the biggest <laughs> question of humanity. Why, do, why is there suffering in this world? And it's not going away. There's still suffering. So we, we live in a world that's difficult. Mm -hmm. And we have to face challenges. And when we're offered a spiritual perspective of let's say like everything's perfect love and light and you know everything is in this kind of divine will where something's going to an event is going to happen in the future and suddenly you're ascended and everything is great mm -hmm. it's a way of just letting go and saying oh finally i found the answer i don't have to you know i just have to focus on my own self my own yeah. ideas my own vibration love and light, and I'm just going to be fine. Um, I've seen the opposite of that, you know, being in this community, yeah. being um, around thousands of people um, that kind of get caught up in this. It's like they can put their faith into this so much that they, uh, they lose their jobs, they lose mm -hmm. their finances, they lose their house, yeah. they lose their family, and they become so isolated Mm -hmm. And they're just sitting there waiting, saying, okay, now the everything is, is destroyed, yeah. but my faith is so strong that, yeah. you know, we're going to enter into 5D tomorrow right, and right. we'll be fine. Yeah. And I know many individuals that have had their life yeah. destroyed by that. Same. Yeah. So that's why I say we need to kind of be opened. And the whole thing about spiritual experience is it's very subjective. Mm -hmm. Okay we will experience something that will shift our way of perception, shift our way of thinking, help 
heal emotional traumas, to help us cope with the world that we live in. Yeah. And we're supposed to take that spiritual experience and integrate it and share it with the world in a productive way yeah. to better the community. You know? Yeah. So, you know, abstract ideas are great for the mind and spirit. Yeah. You know, they make us think like, okay, we're the philosophers. We're thinking of all these amazing concepts, but now we need to apply them. How do we make a better world for people? Sure. And I think this is where it's being completely lost. Yeah. Where um, we have this kind of separation of two worlds where we have the harsh realities of life, the politics, the people running this show, monetary systems, mm -hmm. the whole economy, and health system, all this. And then we have this other side where it's like, okay, we're alternative. Yeah. This stuff doesn't matter. We're living in our own bubble. We're going to take care of ourselves. I create my own reality. Create so. You know. Right. And when I, you know, fell down and broke my back, I just wanted to meditate that away. Mm -hmm. I couldn't. Mm -hmm. I had to go to the hospital. I had to get surgery, you know. And then when I got out of the system, once they stitched me back together, then I can use my knowledge to rebuild my life. Yeah. That's what it's there for. It's your foundation yeah. to be there. Because many people, if you don't have a strong foundation spiritually or don't have a strong knowledge base in the world, when things come at you that are very difficult, you don't have a way of coping. Yeah, And it's by not having that ability of coping that you can get really sucked into the, the gutter. You yeah. Can, um, you know, turn to addiction, depression, you know, even suicidal. Yeah. Because you feel that there is no more hope left and there's nothing you can do. Yeah. So... This is why I love talking to you. This is why I love coming out here. <laughs> because it's almost like a grounded-based spirituality mm -hmm. where it's just being conscious yeah. of who we are, where we come from, where we're going, and how do we apply it in the world, and participating. Yeah. Participating. Um, I just want to add one more thing because I think it's very important. When I first started getting into spirituality... I used to meditate, like, meditating was my religion, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd sit in my room and meditate and meditate and hope for, you know, spiritual experiences, get information and this and that. And I got a really great message. It said, you can't live your life between four walls. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have to get out. You have to be with people and interact. That is what life is. Yeah. You're not here to be in four walls. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I think, the how I became successful and the, how I met you and everybody mm -hmm. is I went out. And lived life. I went out wherever there was a conference, whenever there was someone talking, whenever there was a show. I'm like, okay, I got to be there and I got to, you know, hang out with these people that yeah. are they're going there. I I resonate with that a lot. And what's interesting, too, is is not only in, let's say, the sp sort of spiritual community of um, like I hope this doesn't sound like we're picking on people here. This is a, I think these are important themes to talk about because I, it is common and I, I know a lot of people struggle with this stuff, but we see in the, in the spiritual side that, that detraction and going in and just being within too much, like I got to go inward, but it's, it becomes too much. It becomes like an obsession of everything is within. Um, and then there's almost like this badge of honor that comes on the, let's say the conspiratorial, the alternative side, the badge of honor of, 
I don't even hang around with any of my friends and family anymore because I'm so different and they don't get it and they're so asleep. And that's like a badge of honor that's worn. And I think to myself, how healthy is that? Like it's one thing to, you know, produce a high quality group of friends around you and, and let go of some people that you really don't feel fit in your life. That's from, if you can say that from a grounded place, then that's beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. But so often it's said from like a, they're all idiots, they're asleep, like blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, when I get together with them, you know, it, they're always just challenging me on my ideas. And sometimes you get to sit in on those people with their friends and you watch how they talk to their friends and condescend their friends and talk down to their friends about what they know. And you go, well, no wonder you're not enjoying being around your friends. You're treating them like garbage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So there's there's this there's this really interesting question of of how these beliefs, how these ideas um, some of which may very well be grounded in truth, can really invite people to voluntarily pull themselves into really unhealthy situations of isolation. And um, I just, I think that's a huge topic in, in, this, in this space. And I love my friends. Mm-hmm. I love my family. And we have very different ideas. Very different ideas, <laughs> very different views. Yeah. And I don't, I don't see that there are individuals who will come into a conversation and like you said, dominate. Mm-hmm. This is the truth. This is the reality. Yeah. You guys are sheep. Yeah. Because you don't see this, mm-hmm. you know, do you think I would say that to my mother? Mm-hmm. Like, no, you have to have respect. These are people's beliefs. This is how they see the world. Yeah. And if they see certain things the way they do, there's a reason for it. Yeah. So, you know, I have groups of friends that completely not in this arena, uh, spiritual or conscious arena, uh, mostly sports. I have a lot of friends that are very connected to the sports industry. Mm-hmm. So all they talk about is sports. And I'll, I'll listen to them talk politics. I'll listen to them talk about everything. I enjoy it. I love it because yeah. I can, I, I get another perspective of life. Yes. You know, and then I can, I can bring up things that I'm doing and they respect me. Yeah. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we're, you know, we're still cool. We're still friends. Right. And I think that is, it, it's kind of like being inclusive. Yeah. You need to be, we, that's what true inclusivity is. Yeah. Respecting people. Yeah. Respecting people's ideas and knowledge. Yeah. And not, you know, um, demeaning them and belittling them and saying you know you know the worst thing that i've heard in this community is when uh, a person becomes sick mm-hmm. and let's say they're a spiritual person that becomes sick yeah and you know they could be dying in a hospital right and their friends who knew them for years who are the spiritual friends they go oh they're sick because you know they're lower vibration right 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 it's yeah. like how what is that it's, it's a kind of this kind of um ego arrogance mm-hmm. of my spirituality is better than your spirituality right when we're all human we're all here living an experience and you can't take that experience away from them mm-hmm. you know uh if you get into mysticism the duality of things is everything is one basically yeah so the negative parts of life and the positive parts of life equal your life yeah it's yeah. your wholeness, mm-hmm. and you have to experience certain things that you may not like in this world, but you can't push them away. You have to kind of own them, yeah, yeah, to be whole. 
And, and so much of what you talked about and like how you navigated, you know, moving through these places, maintaining friends and doing all these different things and talking about a different perspective that you can learn from people. It, it is, we talk a lot about curiosity here and this idea of, you know, what does it really mean to be curious? And, and I, when I'm listening to what you're saying, I'm like, the curiosity is when you said, why do they have that perspective? Like what turn, you know, series of events, what's your, like, if we can't get curious enough to ask our friends and our family, why do you have that perspective? Or where do you, you know, why do you believe that or whatever from a true like place of curiosity, meaning you're not just going to be like, you didn't get that from fucking mainstream media, did you? You know, like that kind of thing, but like actually curious, like why? And then if they say, oh, well, you know, I heard that on the news. Oh, interesting. Why? Like, have you heard of this perspective? Oh, no, I haven't. Or do you always believe what's there or are you open to other ideas? And like, you're just trying to determine, you're trying to understand where somebody comes from versus this perspective of you got it from mainstream media. That's all a lie, right? Because according to the conspiratorial community too, there's not a single story that can appear in mainstream media that is true. Every single story is false. And not only that, but if a true story were to land, it's for some other agenda. <laughs> so it becomes this like really non-curious process it's ideological at that point right um and so this this curiosity which i definitely sense in you and and in when what you're talking about um i think is something that so many of us can benefit from kind of bringing back to our lives and and this sort of leads into the question of you know when i was going through parts of your book there you're talking about your earlier years uh when you were a kid and you were having you know uh entities or or shadow uh, people show up in your room um, and this sort of you became curious about certain things ultimately and it led you towards Qigong and some of these postures that we're going to talk about a little bit but I'm curious like again there's curiosity what what happened in that space when you were younger what led you towards these things like if you were to break that down well it was always there so it was always kind of in the background and it's just kind of like, you know, sometimes you have dreams that you remember and sometimes you don't have dreams you remember. So there's certain like events or experiences that you have in your life that you completely forgotten about. And there's some that just kind of remain with you. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing with these uh, spiritual experiences. So I'll remember certain things as a child of these beings, you know, it's just like paranormal in your house. Like, okay, my mm -hmm. house was haunted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And I remember, you know, even my brother, I'll tell a story, yeah. Even my brother um, would experience these things. And it's like I remember as a kid, one night he ran into my room crying with his pillow and he starts hitting me in bed with his pillow. And I, you know, calm him down. I'm like, go, you know, what are you doing? Like, you know, why are you hitting me with a pillow in the middle of the night? And he's crying. And he says, he says, well, you came into my room. You ripped the pillow out from under my head and started hitting me. He's like, no, I've been sleeping. You know, he, like we had these weird experiences of these paranormal events that happened in my house. Yeah. And then when, and then it happened again where he said he woke up one night and he saw his lamp like floating in the air next to him. Mm. You know, so it wasn't just me yeah. that was having these experiences. So we knew that there was some strangeness mm -hmm. going on. And 
when you kind of grow up with it, you have that curiosity. Um, and at first you have a fear, but then it's just, there it is. Mm-hmm. There's no fear anymore. And this is what happened later in life in my 20s where you start having sleep paralysis, you start feeling things walking around your room or sitting on top of you while you're trying to sleep, you can't breathe. And at first it's terrifying. Yeah. But if this is happening like every single night for a year or two, after a couple of weeks, you're just annoyed that it's still happening. Yeah. So you kind of drop that fear. And as that experience progresses, your curiosity peaks. Okay, like, what is this really? Yeah. Is this just my brain having hallucinations? Yeah. Am I sick? <laughs> or is there something to this phenomenon? Yeah. And that's kind of where this whole thing opened up to me with the whole supernatural, spiritual phenomenon is that is there a world beyond ours or is there something that we can't see that can influence or affect us? Yeah. And this is where I kind of got into mysticism and Qigong. And when you really go back and look at these things, it's in black and white. I mean, yeah. <laughs> this has been here forever. It's never changed. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's changed is our society and our belief systems. Yeah. So now we're trying to fit our beliefs to match this type of supernatural thing that we can't define. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just call them ghosts or entities or things like that. And is it? Well, it's interesting because the, the empirical material scientists of today would say, well, you know, back in the day, we believed tons of crazy things, right? And, and that statement wipes away all of the unexplainable things. Uh, thankfully, there's these, this sort of post-material science that's, you know, re-emerging here now, which in a lot of ways is trying to empirically um, examine what you're referring to as sort of these ancient uh, understandings that, that, you know, that we've had. But um, that's even a fascinating transition to see that, that unfold. But, uh, and we know even scientifically, you know, if they hook up um, brain scan, ECG, and they measure the frequencies of your brain, mm-hmm. your brain enters into different modes, different states um, between waking and dreaming. Yeah. So someone who's uh, meditating or channeling, their brain frequencies change. So their experience changes. Yeah. You have the monks that are meditating in the caves. You can measure their blood. Their chemistry is different. So by changing your state of mind, by changing the frequencies the actual frequencies of your brain, yeah. your body, you create different chemicals, different yeah. reactions. Um, so people can have these experiences at an individual place and someone could be in the room with them and not have that experience. Sure, yeah. Because of all those different factors. So we have to kind of step back and say, well, is this connected to the dream world or is this something outside of us completely? And if you go back to religious texts or, you know, what they talked about back then, it was just common that this was like beyond the veil. This was something, you know, the realm of the gods and the angels that Mm -hmm. are here and we can interact with them, but we have to kind of be at that wavelength to experience it. 
So you talk about in the book, one of the ways that you kind of got to that wavelength after about a year's practice or so is, is through Qigong and practicing it or Qigong. Is there two different ways to pronounce it or is it doesn't matter? Yeah. Uh, Qigong, Qi, Ka, it's prana. Yeah. Um, what it just means is energy yeah. or energy cultivation. And we cultivate energy by breathing. You know, the air is life, basically. Mm -hmm. Food, water, all those things are chi. All those things feed us and sustain us. Um, but the concept of chi is that we have this kind of energetic body that feeds or has an exchange of energy between yourself as an individual and the outside world, the mm -hmm. universe. Yeah. And if your chi is lower, it's like saying you don't have enough food. Yeah. You're hungry. And if you're hungry, then you're, you're, you have pains, you have sufferings, you have, it's, it's the grumpy. same thing. Yeah, you're grumpy. <laughs> um, so the whole concept is how to, how do we fulfill, how do we hold, how do we generate that energy, that life force energy? And it's all around us all the time. The ancient people from all cultures knew about this. This is not just the Chinese or the Egyptians. This is all cultures knew about this energy source. Mm -hmm. It comes from the earth. It comes from the air and the sky. And when you put your feet on the earth, it's a, uh, it's a negative polarity. It's a pulling energetic polarity. You know, you can measure this with a, um, what was that tool called? An electro <laughs> tool uh, to measure. And the air also has a polarity it's a positive polarity the air so when you have your feet on the ground your hands in the air you're like a capacitor yeah you know you um move energy through you yeah and when you go to a place like the ocean or a forest when you have all this life you have these negative ions in the air you're breathing it the negative ions feed you you know positive ions age you so it's really a known scientific concept at that level of thinking. So, you know, many people think of spirituality as something unattainable, something in the mind that's, you know, you can't experience it. But when you're talking at an energetic level of how the body actually works, mm -hmm. the body works through the chemical reactions, through electromagnetism. That's what we are. That's how we generate life. So... Um, the concept of Qigong is actually very interesting, is that the energy moves through the body in a very specific direction, and it's regulated by your breath. Mm -hmm. So as you breathe, you're pulling the energy, and there's an exchange of releasing the energy to the universe, pulling the energy in from the universe. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. And as you change the geometry of your body, or if you change the posture of your body, and you see this all the time in artwork. You know, you have yeah. the, the, the Buddhas holding mudras mm -hmm. yeah. or, you know, holding, touching different points of their body, different points. Um, as you change your posture, as you change the geometry of your body, you change the way the energy flows through the body. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, you can focus the chi or the energy to different organ systems um, to build, to cleanse, to purify um, to enhance or to weaken, you know. So it's this kind of energetic science of the body living in its own environment. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the, the original language 
of mankind's connection to the earth. Yeah. And that's all it is. It's not this crazy abstract concept. Yeah. It's not this spiritual idea that has to be, you know, meditated on forever. It, it's what it is. It's how we operate as humans at that level. Mm-hmm. And by keeping up, by um, moving energy in a Qigong type of sense, what you're doing is, it's like cleaning. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's the same thing. If you're backed up, if you're eating all this garbage food and you're backed up, you're not going to be going to the washroom and you're going to get sick, right? It's the same thing or the same concept is with energy is that if you're taking on the energies of the world, yeah. the the static uh, neg- or positive ions of the computers and technology, the 5G, all, th- all these things, the microwave energy, it sticks to us. Mm-hmm. And we need to defrag. Yeah. And that's why they say go hug a tree. Yeah. Why, why do you <laughs> hug a tree? Because a tree is rooted to the earth. It has this pull. It pulls down and pulls up. So when you go hug a tree, all that built up static electricity that you're holding that's, you know, making your eyes red. I hope that's what's making your eyes red. <laughs> um, and basically when you hug that tree, it defrags and pulls that yeah. excess energy off. And then you go, oh. Mm-hmm. I feel much better. Yeah, that's why when you go to the beach and you put your feet in the sand, you got the waves coming up and touching your feet. Why do you feel so good? Right, because it creates this pulling effect where it rejuvenates the energy moving through you. It's a natural response to energy. Yeah, um, which we've kind of forgotten about in modern society. On that note, though, so. I, you know, the, the I find that when you hug a tree, you can feel it. There's a subtlety there, right? Does does everybody like? Is the nature of our modern society how fast things move? The where our attention often gets pulled. Um, you know, sometimes people might hear this idea of hugging a tree and go, I, "I feel nothing." Or they're at the beach, they put their feet in the sand. You know, I don't really notice anything. What sense of uh, self awareness and bodily attunement and physical attunement? Um, does one have to be in to kind of feel these things or will everybody feel it in your opinion? Um, again, everybody's an individual. I would say that most people are numb Mm -hmm. and that's just the nature of where we're at as a society because, um, we need to kind of position ourselves to deal with, you know, let's say working in a warehouse or, you know, dealing with a family. We're not really, tuning in to these subtle frequencies we're dealing with life sure and this is also the thing with qigong and meditation is that you're purposefully cutting everything out you're purposely saying i'm taking 20 minutes of my day closing the door no one's bothering me there's no cell phones there's no computers in this room and i'm just going to sit and be with myself Mm -hmm. and close the mind silence everything and start to uh, feel yeah. and this is this is the whole thing with energy um, it's tied in with the sense of feeling mm-hmm. so you're trying to sensitize yourself you're trying to feel what your body is feeling and it goes back to let's say like zen meditation where in zen meditation you have to be present so if a thought comes just let it go if you feel something in your body recognize it and let it go so you're trying to sensitize 
what is your body saying? Yeah. And this was the most magical thing about learning meditation is that you can sit or lay down or stand and just be silent. And then you'll start to feel all these like aches and pains. Mm-hmm. You're like, I didn't feel that before. The reason you didn't feel it before is because your attention was somewhere else. Yeah. You know, so when you're bringing your attention back to your body and becoming present, suddenly you, you're paying attention to yourself and you'll notice things are wrong. Mm-hmm. There's areas that you need to focus on. And this is also what scares people away from meditation or scares people away from this type of work is because many people hold very heavy things. You know, human beings, we go through trauma, like yeah. childbirth, so childhood. Yeah, childhood, yeah. <laughs> Going to a In its entirety. School, like, <laughs> give me a break. Yeah. We human beings have trauma that we sure. carry. Yeah. And many people have a lot of trauma. Yeah. And I'll say that everybody does. So, oh, 100%. So when they start to let go and focus and bring attention to themselves, it's almost like this surge of all these things that they've been holding on to for so long come to the surface and it scares the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. Why do I feel sick? Why do I have these pains? I went to go see this person to do a meditation and suddenly I feel sick. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's got to be them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. It's because you're starting to pay attention. And because you're changing where you focus, you are now faced with things that you carry. Mm-hmm. And this is the actual journey, I believe. This whole shamanic journey of healing and finding yeah. oneself is you are allowing yourself to process the things that you've carried from this life and beyond um, to allow it to come to the surface so that it can be dealt with. Yeah. Hundred percent, and it was well said. The interesting sort of parallel there is like I, I started about three years ago taking uh, a number of different certification courses for for trauma and somatics and complex PTSD and all this sort of stuff. And it had come from kind of two things. Number one, I had been you know since I was a kid, I was always attuned to a lot of different paranormal ideas, and so I was always open to what you couldn't see. Um, so when I started to learn a lot more about spirituality and around two thousand eight or so. Um, I, 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 I felt like there was a lot there. There was a lot that I was learning through meditation, through, you know, other metaphysical ideas and all these sorts of, but there was like certain holes and those holes would be like some of these spiritual concepts. Yeah. But what about that situation where that part is not working? Or what about that situation where it's not working? And so much of what you were talking about with, with, uh, Qigong or Qigong, um, relates a lot to like the somatics work that I've been studying and and the trauma work I've been studying because I too believe that the vast majority of us carry you know some level of nervous system dysregulation or or trauma or something from the nature of this world it's just it is what it is and um, attuning to the body and listening to the body and making space for that has a massively healing you know sort of um, effect I'll say it all starts with self-awareness and it builds up from there. But what's interesting is just, you know, here I'm kind of learning this through a, um, it's, it's very much a scientific container that, that has like a metaphysical underpinning. Um, but, but I would say it's more scientific. So it, it's a nice um, addition to the very metaphysical training that I had in the past. 
Um, and but but hearing you know about these other modalities and how much they align with the results that you would get from what we understand scientifically is is really what's fascinating to me. It's like, yeah, that's the process. You know, you sit here, you orient yourself, you attune with the body, you you start to notice the subtlety, you start to notice different things in your body, and we have scientific backing to show that that's how people can navigate and heal through trauma. And here you're saying the same words, but from a different, you know, ancient practice. Um, and it leads to the same thing, which is fascinating. Yeah, and it's like, what is pain? Mm-hmm. You know, we can we consider pain to be a bad thing. Pain is literally the body screaming. It's a data point. You need to look here, yeah. and you need to stop what you're doing until you figure this out. Right. And in our society, it's called a symptom. Mask it. What do we do with <laughs> symptoms? Yeah, we drug it. Yeah, we just say oh. You won't feel it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> if you take don't it. have to change anything else. Yeah, it kind of leads to another. We gotta we gotta copyright this here again because I'm about to give away a big idea that that I have. Um, actually, my wife came up with a good perspective uh, or title in this because I was gonna title it something like "Well Not" or "Well like, I didn't know what to call it, but it's like a little documentary that I've been wanting to do that I've written up a bunch of ideas for, and she said you should call it "Well Mess," and it's the idea that in a lot of ways. In our current society, we're using wellness practices to mask the constant pain and suffering that also comes from the systems around us, but also from the ideologies that infect their way into these wellness places. So it's like, instead of, well, you know, you have that pain because of, you know, let's say, I don't know, some ridiculous reason that has nothing to do with anything, and, and people become very neurotic there. Mm-hmm. Their wellness journey becomes this, this, it goes everywhere, but there's no groundedness, right? And so this, the wellness space can be very messy, but it also can distract us from, wait a minute, are we just trying to use wellness to cope with the insanity of our world? Like, shouldn't we also be trying to address how unhealthy our society is instead of just saying, well, you know what? Every office needs to have a meditation room now so that the thing that you're doing that is making you stressed out 24-7 you can reduce that stress by having a meditation room. It's like, well, hold on a second. What about the thing that's making us stressed out 24-7? Like, how do we address that part of it, right? It's like, man, my life is so stressed. I'm going to go on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, what did I do? Yeah. <laughs> this made it worse. But yeah, it's 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 um, it's kind of a new approach, I think. is It's sort of being taken a little bit here. But um what uh, where can people learn more? Well, why don't you tell me a bit about your book? A little bit, a little bit of shameless promotion here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. of course. Well, uh, my my journey from the beginning has been this kind of shamanic journey into healing, mm-hmm. and it, it goes into the metaphysics, it goes into ancient mysticism, and this is where I kind of went down this rabbit hole through my own spiritual experiences into postures, into Qigong, yeah. and into the ancient statues. Yeah. So if you notice, uh, if you go to the museum, like, you know, we can go today to the Rom. Yeah. And uh, we can look at the Egyptian and the uh, Far East section, and you'll see statues, mm-hmm. ancient statues that are seated in very strange postures, holding mudras. You'll see Egyptian statues standing with the left leg forward with their hands or placed in different postures. And when you go into Qigong, which has survived, or yoga today, Tai Chi, all these systems, 
you can see parallels between what they're doing today and these statues that are thousands of years old. So this is kind of the, um, the rabbit hole that I went down into, and I went into uh, very much um, mysticism. Mm-hmm. So I really got into what or how did the ancient mind see themselves in the universe? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the question. How did our ancient ancestors cope with their lives? And how did they figure out their systems of spirituality and religion. And when you really go back in time and look at these things, it's almost like you're peeling away the onion of all this distortion that, you know, we've added throughout the years and trying to get down to this kind of purity of, oh, you know, they they worship the sun. Well, they weren't worshiping the sun. The sun was what gives life to the plants and the vegetation, which which feeds you and gives you life. <laughs> you know, so you better give thanks to the sun and the moon at night because it helps. Um, you know, it moves the waters, it moves the atmosphere. Um, the phases of the, of the moon is a clock, and our fertility is based off the moon. Mm-hmm. So it's like we have this innate connection to nature and the cycles of nature. And that was the beginning of spiritual concepts of, I would say, religion in general started at that basic level and grew from that. So uh, after all my years of of research, um, I put together this book this year during COVID. I did actually write a book during COVID (laughs) um, called The Egyptian Postures of Power, Mysticism, Meditation, and Movements. Mm -hmm. And... It gets into all types of stuff. It gets into Qigong, energy, postures, mysticism, um, basically the allegories in different religious um, books, talking about how the cycles of the stars, the sun, the moon, and how um, the ancient Egyptians, for example, um, they knew about the laws of the universe and they personified them as the netter, the gods. Mm-hmm. So each god had a physical, an actual role to play in the world. So it wasn't like a god walking around the planet like we kind of put in the movies. Yeah, The god was a personification of characteristics that we can look for in the world. Right. And when we find those characteristics, when we find those attributes, we can say, well, that is the attribute of this god. Yeah. You know, so when you start to peel away, it becomes incredibly fascinating. As the as the cops come to get us, our wives are out doing something right now. <laughs> we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna we need to put our yeah. cell phones on to check. <laughs> yeah. So that's all. Um, it's funny, qigong qigong has been a practice that I've been wanting to. I uh, get into for a long time. My buddy's kind of sworn by it, and he's like, "Joel, you know, you got to try it." And I just, I haven't done it, but maybe I'll have to ask you a little later. You know, for some sure. more, uh, some more thoughts on that. But you know, thanks so much for coming in for doing this. As always, it was a pleasure to chat. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll do this again. Anytime. Well, that's it. That's all. I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, I want to thank the members of the Explore Lounge who are helping us to continue doing this work. If you want to support this podcast and all of the work we do here at the Pulse and Collective Evolution, consider becoming a member of our Explore Lounge. As a member, you get access to exclusive video content. You can watch all of these episodes ad-free. 
And you get access to our private social network where you can discuss and learn about many topics with a like-minded community of changemakers. It's truly an incredible place to be, not just for the benefits that you get, but you're directly supporting our dedicated team here at Collective Evolution and The Pulse. Visit explorelounge.one, that's dot O-N-E, to learn more. (laughs) 